Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture passage today comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. The word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, may the meditations of each heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Hello. Hi. It is the day after Christmas. The B team is here to preach. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all take a collective breath together. In. Out. Now buckle up, folks. Have any of you ever heard of Hofstetter's Law? Hofstetter's Law. No? Douglas Hofstetter was a polymath. He's a genius. And he had, he he often worked with um, fractals, those geometric patterns that we see like on a Christmas tree. He was interested in stuff that looped back into itself. The way that um, a flower blooming tends to reproduce the same pattern. Are you with me? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to need some verbal affirmation here, folks. So Douglas Hofstetter has a law. It's called Hofstetter's Law. And the law goes... It will always take longer than you think it will, even when you take into account Hofstetter's law. There should be a graphic up on the screen. Yeah, so we've got best case scenario here. We've got actual, we've got uh, maybe worst case scenario. We've got actual time uh, taking into account Hofstetter's law and how long it actually takes. And how long it actually takes seems to go on for quite some time, right? 
I think about wrapping Christmas presents or writing a paper. I came into knowledge of Hofstetter's Law in undergrad when I was particularly anxious about papers that were imminently due. I think about the preparation of a sermon. It always takes longer than you think it will, even when you take into account Hofstetter's Law. Someone who may have been familiar with the sensation of things taking longer than we would expect it to is Simeon, who is maybe the main character of the story that we've just read, aside from the baby Jesus. According to our scripture today, Simeon is a devout old man who would not die until he had seen God's Christ. I am reminded of a scene in Monty Python. The scene is this man says, I'm not dead yet. I imagine Simeon waiting, old man Simeon, for the arrival of Christ. I'm not dead yet. In this passage, Simeon is essentially the embodiment of Israel at its finest. As preacher-scholar Fred Craddock notes, Simeon is devout, obedient, in constant prayer, led by the Holy Spirit, at home in the temple, longing and hoping for the fulfillment of God's promises. And we know, because we've read the passages, that his hoping and his longing does come to fulfillment. Who does he see? God incarnate, Christ. He gets to hold the baby Jesus. Hopefully there's the image there of devout old man Simeon holding Christ. And when we look at an image like that, this this image of a devout old man who spent his whole life waiting for this moment of holy fulfillment, we might tend to think that there is a difference between us and Simeon. Between this pious and devout old man who has dedicated his life to worship and ourselves. We tend to put people into categories. Spiritual heroes like Desmond Tutu, who certainly belong in our category of spiritual heroes, for good reason. People like Simeon. But we don't think about the people in the pews or the people out on the streets. I'm here to claim, this is one of my first claims of the sermon, that there is no distinction to be made between us and Simeon everyone in Simeon, because all of us worship. All of us dedicate our lives to worship. Whenever I meet somebody, it inevitably happens that they ask me what I do. Sometimes I'm reluctant to tell them, because I know where we're going, right? So I tell them I work at a church, I'm the director of new ministries, I've just graduated from Candler School of Theology, and inevitably that person often says, oh, so you're religious. This is where the conversation tends to take a turn. I say, well, I tend to believe that everybody is religious. I follow a man on Twitter, his name is David Dark, he's written books like 
the sacredness of questioning everything. And David Dark claims that all of us worship. He says, show me a transcript of your daily doings and sayings over the course of a week or a month or a year, and I will show you your religion. Everybody worships. I tend to believe that David Dark may have gotten that sort of thought from another theologian named Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich was a theologian in the 20th century who defined faith in terms of ultimate concern. Ultimate concern. Your ultimate concern is revealed to you by the way that you spend your days, your hours. That can be kind of overwhelming. If I were to show you a transcript of my daily doings and sayings, I don't know that you'd think that I was the director of new ministries at First Church. I think that you might say that I'm a little bit more devoted to distraction, perhaps. Sometimes my iPhone tells me how much time I spend on social media, and I'm not going to tell you how much time it shows. All of us worship. There's another famous philosopher. His name, his name is the band Mumford & Sons. Mumford & Sons has a song, and in the song, one of the lines is, where you invest your love, you invest your life. We can see the investment of love in Simeon's life. The question for us is, where is our investment of love, of our days, of our time? Here is the thing about Hofstetter law. It may apply to most things, but it does not apply to a life. A life is one of those things that escapes the bounds of taking a little bit longer than it seems it will because a life comes and goes quite quickly. I'm sure some of you might know that a little bit better than I do. So thinking about all of this, thinking about Hofstetter's law, thinking about worship and devotion and Simeon and my own worship and devotion, I escaped to the terrace on Tuesday. There's a terrace at the church. It's upstairs, right outside. It's outside. There are space heaters up there. It's pretty neat. And last week, the weather was real good, so I went out there to breathe and to escape from the composition of this sermon that I was frightened of. And so I go out there, and I, I, I'll tell you what I heard when I was sitting out on the sermon. I heard the sounds of cars on South Street rushing by. I heard the sound of horns blaring. I heard the whoosh of particular fingers given. I heard sirens. I heard someone with mental illness talking to someone who was not there. And I'll tell you what I saw. I saw PNC Bank, TND Bank, Seaside Bank, Sea Rise Bank, National Bank, and I saw the shadows that they cast upon downtown Orlando. And in those shadows, I could hear more people. I could hear the sounds of a panhandler asking for money, clinking change in a tin cup. 
I could hear the sound of a salesman confidently striding from point A to point B as quickly as he could, closing a sale. I would like for you, if you wouldn't mind, I'll keep watch to make sure no one is peeking. Close your eyes. Imagine you can hear the sounds of downtown Orlando. The rush, the whir, the haste. These are the sounds of people in worship. And then in the midst of all of that sound, you may open your eyes. This was just an excuse to ring the bell. I've wanted to do that for some time. The bell called me to attention. I work at this church often five days a week. When was the last time you heard the church bell ring? I think we are one of two churches in downtown that ring a church bell daily. What does the church bell call us to attention to? Perhaps to time? The bell rings the time. It rang at 12 o'clock noon. And suddenly, for just a moment, it didn't happen for long, I remembered who I was and where I was. No longer caught up in the noise and the haste of the city. I came to, I woke up for a moment with the sound of the bell. I'm reminded of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. He wrote this book, it's called The Sabbath. He calls us also to attention. He tends that, he, he claims that most of us tend to labor for things of space. Remember, where you invest your love, you invest your life. Most of us tend to labor for things of space. And that we tend to forget that it is not a thing that lends significance to a moment, but rather the moment that lends significance to things. Time. Time. There's a quote from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel that I'd like to read. He claims that Judaism is a religion of time. I would extend this to the Abrahamic tradition in general, okay? So the quote reads, it should be up on the, yes it is, wow, that's cool. <laughs> the quote reads, Judaism is a religion of time, aiming at the sanctification of time. There are no two hours alike. Every hour is unique, and the only one given at the moment exclusive and endlessly precious. 
Judaism teaches us to be attached to holiness in time, to be attached to sacred events, to learn how to consecrate the sanctuaries that emerge from the magnificent stream of a year. The Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. There are two things that I'd like to note from that quote. First, it is this sense of holiness. The Hebrew word for holiness is a word that it, it, it's kadosh, kadash. Can you guess where the first time is that the Hebrew word kadash is mentioned? Somebody could raise their hand if they'd like. I could call on you. It's the first time this word holy is used. Good. Say it louder. <laughs> I said good, say it louder, and Vance went good. Thanks. Thanks, Vance. In the book of Genesis, God is in the work of creation, and on the seventh day, God creates what? God creates the Sabbath. He blesses it, and she calls it holy. The first instance of holiness in our tradition is the consecration of time. Kadosh, holy, time. The second thing I would like to note from that quotation is the Sabbath. So that seventh day is recognized as the Sabbath. This is not something that is only uh, practiced in the Jewish tradition. It is also practiced in Christianity when Christianity is at its best. The Sabbath calls us to attention of God's, um, of God's existence in the world. And the Jesus that Simeon holds calls us to attention of the Sabbath. How does he do that? So, in the Judaic tradition, we have the Sabbath, that's on the seventh day. And then every seven years, there is a Sabbath year. And then every seven times seventh year is the year of Jubilee. Seven, we know seven represents wholeness, fullness in the biblical tradition. So in the fullness of time, Judaism celebrates the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, every debt is forgiven. The person is given back their house. The person with student loans, their debt is forgiven. The person who is working with low wages in order to pay off credit card debt, their loan is forgiven. And everything in creation is touched by God's grace. When we rest in the year of Jubilee, it is not only us who benefit, it is also creation. The waters are given a moment's respite. 
The flowers in the fields, too, are given time to rest from harvesting. We plan for the year of Jubilee so that everything, every square inch in this moment in time in the universe can be touched by God's grace. Are you with me? There is no evidence, this is the downer, there is no evidence that the year of Jubilee was ever practiced. The biblical scholar would tell you this. You can never have any fun with a biblical scholar around. There is no evidence that the year of Jubilee was practiced. But that misses the point. This was a hope of the people. And hope, newness, new life is always related to memory. We have this vision, this memory of us living in accord with creation. So, how does that relate to Jesus and Simeon? Simeon receives Jesus, and he says, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. He claims that Jesus will bring the year of consolation to the people of Israel. Not only to the people of Israel, but also to the Gentiles who would have been considered outsiders according to a fundamentalistic and nationalistic religion. A few chapters later, in Luke 4, Jesus claims in the very temple that he has come to announce the kingdom of God. He claims that the blind will see. He claims that the poor will be fed. The oppressed will be liberated. And he says, he claims all of this, claiming that he's coming in the year of the Lord's favor. Which is another phrase for the year of Jubilee. When Christ comes, Christ says, I've come to inaugurate the year of Jubilee. I've got a lot of material up here. The year of Jubilee has not gone anywhere. On today, the day after Christmas, the year of Jubilee has been inaugurated. You, too, can bear witness to the year of Jubilee. Your worship can be directed towards this knowledge of a God above the sorts of gods that we tend to worship on a daily basis. This is the Lord of Lords, the hosts of hosts. And Simeon receives Jesus because he is receptive to the Holy Spirit. How are we receptive to the Holy Spirit? Every now and then, we take a moment to listen for the bells. We take time. We rest. And in so doing, we are witness to a subversive and alternate reality than the sort of reality that we see outside of the church and also in the church. Because here is the reality. God has become incarnate. And God's incarnation did not end 
in the first century. God's incarnation continues with each of you. Love adamant as bone is in each of you. And we need only take a moment, a breath, to bloom and let us almost become him. Amen? This is the Christmas promise. There is a poem that was cut from the, the Christmas uh, uh, concerts because it was a little bit esoteric. But I've got your attention now, and so I'm going to refer to it anyways. The poem is by Mary Carr. It's from a collection called Sinner's Welcome. I'm not going to read the whole poem. I'll only read the last few lines. The poem reads, One has only to surrender, you preached. Open both arms to the inner, the ever-present hold. Outreaching every want. Outreaching every want. It's in the form embedded. Love adamant as bone. bone. In a breath we can bloom and almost be you. In a breath we can bloom and almost be you. Here's my prayer for each of us in the coming year. In the coming year we're going to begin a series about dreaming big. Maybe our biggest dream is born out of a dedication to worship. And that does not necessarily mean the pious study of books, the attendance of church every single Sunday. Perhaps it means the observance of time. Because God does not exist somewhere out there. God exists here and now. The gift is here and now, always waiting to be accepted. One has only to surrender, you preach. Open both arms to the inner, the ever-present hold. I'm going to pray a prayer that we pray for our midday meditations. Uh, in the past year, we had these midday meditations to offer a break to the hustle and haste of our daily lives so that we might listen for the bells and we ended each midday meditation with this prayer. Let us pray. Christ as a light, illumine and guide me. Christ as a shield, overshadow me. Christ under me, Christ over me. Christ beside me, on my left, and my right. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, in the mouth of each who speaks unto me. Christ as a light, Christ as a shield, Christ beside me on my left, and my right. May we find you, God, in these moments, in this gift, in holy time where we know you are.
It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.